Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. Thank God for his holy written word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's how much God wanted us to know his word. He decided that the word would become flesh and dwell among us. My title this morning is his name shall be called wonderful. And indeed it is, isn't it? Look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I don't know about you, but um, for most people, this Christmas season is the most wonderful time of the year. The sights, the sounds, the songs, and all that take us all the way back to a time when we recognize the fact that God became a man, walked upon this earth for the purpose of redeeming us from our sinful state, making a sacrifice so that you and I could spend our eternity with the Father in glory. Now Isaiah prophesied by the Spirit of God and said his name would be called, of course, many other names, but one of which is wonderful. And Jesus is wonderful. His name is wonderful. He is wonderful because of many things. His conception and his birth. The life that he lived when he walked upon the earth. His ministry and how he did the work of the Father in touching hearts and changing lives. Also because of his death, you talk about a wonderful death that he died on our behalf. And then the resurrection, how do you define that? How can you say anything about that? But the resurrection makes him a wonderful individual. Then his ascending on high, then his appearing here upon the earth before many. And then of course his coronation service that he had there in glory and then seating at the right hand of the majesty on high, I believe make him the most wonderful individual who ever walked this planet. What about you? He deserves all the accolades we can give him. Amen. Indeed, his name is called Wonderful. Now, these scriptures aren't in your notes. I'm just going to share them with you because I really kind of saw something here that I want to point out to you with regard to what took place when Mary was confronted by Gabriel, the angel, talking about how she would conceive uh, the Son of God. And also what Joseph might have gone through uh, when he heard the fact that his wife, because they were a spouse, which means they were actually legally married at that time, was with child, and he knew that he wasn't with her. So look at the book of Numbers, chapter 5, with me. And if you've never read, read these verses before, or even if you had read these verses, you may have not remembered exactly what they say, but I believe it pertains to some things I want to bring out here this morning. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Speak to the Israelites... And tell them, if any man's wife goes astray, is unfaithful to him, and sleeps with another, but is concealed from her husband, and she is undetected, even though she has defiled herself, since there is no witness against her, and she wasn't caught in the act, 
And if a feeling of jealousy comes over the husband, he becomes jealous because of his wife who has defiled herself. Or if a feeling of jealousy comes over him and he becomes jealous of her, though she has not defiled herself, then the man is to bring his wife to the priest. He is also to bring an offering for her of two quarts of barley flour. He is not to pour oil over it or put frankincense on it because it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering for remembrance that brings sin to mind. The priest is to bring her forward and have her stand before the Lord. Then the priest is to take holy water in a clay bowl and take some of the dust from the tabernacle floor and put it in the water. After the priest has the woman stand uh, before the Lord, he is to let down her hair and place in her hands the grain offering for remembrance, which is a grain, the grain offering for, of jealousy. The priest is to hold the bitter water that brings a curse. The priest will require... Uh, the woman to take an oath and will say to her, if no man has slept with you, if you have not gone astray and become defiled while your husband's under your husband's authority, be unaffected by this bitter water that brings a curse. But if you have gone astray while under your husband's authority, if you have defiled yourself and a man other than your husband has slept with you, at this point, the priest must make the woman take the oath with the sworn's curse. And he is to say to her, may the Lord make you into an object of your people's cursing and swearing when he makes your thigh shrivel and your belly swell. May this water that brings a curse enter your stomach, causing your belly to swell and your thigh to shrivel. And the woman must reply, Amen, Amen. Then the priest is to write these curses on a scroll and wash them off into the bitter water. He will require the woman to drink the bitter water and that brings a curse and it will enter her and cause bitter suffering. The priest is to take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand, wave the offering before uh, the Lord, and bring it to the altar. The priest is to take a handful of the grain offering as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. Then he will require the woman to drink the water. When he makes her drink the water, if it has defiled herself, she has defiled herself and been unfaithful to her husband, the water that brings a curse will enter into her and cause bitter suffering. Her belly will swell, her thigh will shrivel. She'll become a curse among her people. But if the woman is not defiled herself, it is pure. She'll be unaffected, by, uh, unaffected and will be able to conceive children. This is the law regarding jealousy when a wife goes astray and defiles herself while under her husband's authority. Or when a feeling of jealousy comes over her husband, he becomes jealous of his wife. He is to have the woman stand before the Lord and the priest will apply this entire ritual to her. The husband will be free of any guilt, uh, but the woman will bear the consequences of her guilt. Now, that in mind, which is a lot, look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as the mother Mary's espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, notice her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Wow. Imagine what Joseph must have thought when at some point Mary had to say to him, yeah, I know I'm your wife, but I'm pregnant. And she says, but... I've not been with a man. Now you're Joseph. And you go, say that again, honey. I'm pregnant. 
but I want you to know I've not been with a man. Now, being a righteous man, as the Bible says, he doesn't want to put her away publicly. And so what does he do? He's going to take her to the priest, possibly for this ritual to be carried out in her life. Because if she's lying, something's going to happen. If she's truthful, something else is going to happen. But before he acts on that, what does he do? He has to go to bed. He gets a dream. The dream tells him, don't be concerned about marrying her because the child in her womb is not from another man. It's from the Holy Ghost. Whoa. I'm going to read to you something here about this. And this comes from um, commentaries about that situation. Listen to what it says. If the suspected woman was really guilty, the water she drank would be poison to her. Her belly would swell, her thigh rot by a vile disease for vile desserts. And she would mourn at the last when her flesh and body were consumed. Bishop Patrick says for some of the Jewish writers that the effect of these waters appeared immediately. She grew pale, her eyes were uh, eyes ready to start out of her head. Dr. Lightfoot says that sometimes it appeared not for two or three years, but she bore no children and was sickly, languished, and rotted at the last. It is probable that some indications appeared immediately. The rabbins say that the adulterer also died in the same day and hour that the adulteress did, and in the same manner too, that his belly swelled, his secret parts rotted, a disease perhaps not much unlike that which in these latter ages the advancing hand of a righteous God has made a scourge of the uncleanness. But if she were innocent, the water she drank would be physic to her. She shall be free and shall conceive seed. The Jewish writers magnify the good effects of this water to the innocent woman, that to recompense her for the wrong done to her by the suspicion, she should, after drinking of these waters, be stronger, look better than ever. If she was sickly, she would become healthful, should, and she should bear a man-child and also have an easy labor. I heard a lot of praise gods from, <laughs> from our ladies out there. So in other words, if she was innocent, she would be rewarded for her innocence. But if she was guilty, these are the things that would happen. So now imagine if Joseph is about to do something like take her to the priest, because you see, he had to be divorced. There had to be a divorce. If she was pregnant from another man, then there would be a divorce. So he's mindful to do this, and he's going to do this, but he's warned in a dream not to do it because of the fact that it was the Holy Ghost that came on her, and she conceived of the Holy Ghost. So... Now he's going to have to think about what he's, what's going on. But he says, okay, I believe it. I believe it. And so he doesn't act on that. So go back and put yourself in that situation and think about it. How hard would it be for a person to believe that she wasn't with another man? Unless he had that dream that God gave him, God intervened in the situation and made it known to him that, look, this is supernatural. But now notice the effect of these bitter waters. It's, it's hard to imagine, but that was a supernatural thing, because what it's stating that is this, that God sees all things, God knows all things, so this is turned over to the hand of God, and even though no one else saw anything, he has. And it's almost like as if... When we talk about the curse, it's an act of judgment upon the individuals. And you will notice that both would die in the situation. So now Joseph does what he feels is the right thing to do. He takes responsibility. 
he goes through with the being, you know, the husband to Mary, does not take her to the priest and that sort of thing. And from there, you know what takes place. Of course, Christ is born and all that. Well, faith is so important at times like these that sometimes I think we minimize it. You think about the faith of Mary, you think about the faith of Joseph, and you think about what they had to do to stand against all the opposing forces that would come against them at that time. The stigma that she had to you know, have in her life all from that point on. That's how God views things back then. And I don't believe he's changed his view of anything, do you? He's always the same, will always be the same. So I want you to turn with me to Luke's gospel in chapter 1. And I want you to see some things that are important here that will help us better understand even what we celebrate when we celebrate the Christmas season. Here are two responses to an angel that gave the word of the Lord to them. One's Zacharias and one's Mary. And it will speak to our hearts. Gabriel goes to Zacharias and tells him some things about his son going to be born of an older woman, an aged woman. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day. Uh, these things shall be performed. Why? Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. God's word, there's a season in which God's word will be fulfilled. Notice that's what he said. But you don't believe them, Zacharias. So let's just leave that at that. Then go to Luke's gospel, chapter 1. Now notice here Mary's response. Look at verse 38. And Mary said to the same angel, Gabriel, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So now we have on one hand Zacharias, on the other hand we have Mary. You could say it this way, we've got an older one and a younger one. Some prefer a more mature one and a younger one. But the Bible just makes it very clear, old. One's old and one's young. And Zacharias had every reason to believe the angel's word. Mary had every reason to believe it wasn't something that could possibly happen, biologically speaking. Okay, so you've got these two spectrums here. Now, notice in chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel, verse 1 through 4, this is from the Amplified Bible. Luke writes his Gospel, and by the way, he's the only Gentile that we know of that wrote in the New Testament here. Since, as is well known, many have undertaken to put in order and draw up a thorough narrative of the surely established deeds which have been accomplished and fulfilled in and among us. Exactly as they were handed down to us by those who from the official beginning of Jesus' ministry were, I, notice, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. That is, of the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ, uh, through Christ of salvation in the kingdom of God. It seemed good and desirable to me, and so I have determined also, after having searched out diligently and followed all things closely and traced accurately the course from the highest to the minutest detail, from uh, the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. My purpose is that you may know the full truth and understand with certainty and security against error, the accounts, the histories, and doctrines of the faith of which you have been informed and in which you have been orally instructed. Now, here we have Luke, who's a Gentile, 
and he's writing to Theophilus. And behind his motive is he wants to clarify everything on the behalf of Theophilus. Theophilus is a lover of God. It means loved by God or loved of God. He's writing to him because back then it's not like it is today to get his book published, to get the two books published, uh, to get his research financed. He needed someone to be a patron for him. And so here we have Luke appealing to Theophilus to let him know, look, I want to give to you everything in an orderly account of what took place, why we believe what we believe. And so he's going to little by little share all these truths with Theophilus so that Theophilus will fund his research and help him get his books published, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so I want to read to you this statement about Luke and what was stated about him. It really gave me a deeper appreciation for the Gospel of Luke. Look at what it says. Not only did Luke write an orderly account, he has passed the test of a true historian on multiple occasions. One of the greatest archaeologists of all time, Sir William Ramsey, said, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is possessed of the true historic sense. In short, this author should be placed along with the greatest of historians. Now, Ramsey was an outstanding archaeologist in his own right. And what he did was set out to disprove, absolutely disprove what uh, Luke was writing. And in the process of going through all his discoveries, he discovered that Luke was a historian beyond anyone else. Everything he wrote was exact. He did not put one thing down that didn't, he couldn't back up by an eyewitness account. He would go to every individual person and get all the information directly from that source, if he could. If not, it would have been the next source. If someone died or whatever, then he, he would be given that. So here we have Luke, a Gentile Christian, who traveled with the Apostle Paul, who wants to write a gospel to give this orderly account about Jesus, about Christianity, about the faith that we believe. And then he starts writing about John the Baptist first, and then he then goes over to Jesus being born. And he talks about two individuals, one older and one younger. But he also reveals to us the place that faith has. And it affects our lives because, to be honest with you, it takes faith to make the gospel work. No matter how much we know about it, without faith, it's not going to work on our behalf. So as we look, and look at verse 3 and 4 again in the Amplified of Luke 1. Look at what it says. It seemed good and desirable to me, and so I've determined also... After having searched out diligently and followed all things closely and traced accurately the course from the highest to the minutest detail uh, from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. You can just listen to the language. My purpose is that you may know the full truth and understand with certainty and security against air of the accounts, the histories, the doctrines of the faith of which you have been informed and in which you have been orderly instructed. Now, with that as a backdrop, look at Acts. Remember, he wrote the book of Acts also. And we're talking about an orderly account of the things that took place precisely to the minutest detail. Look at Acts chapter 11. And the apostles writing to Theophilus, remember, 
And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to the Jerusalem, they were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into the to men uncircumcised, and you ate with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, and then go on down to verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. The point I'm making is, in between those verses, you see this. He gave an orderly account of what took place in the life of Peter. And then also in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. He gave detail, minutest detail. This is what happened. He got it from Cornelius at some way. This is what happened. He saw the vision. Peter did. The vision told him, don't be afraid to go into the house of a Gentile. And don't you call unclean what I've cleansed. And so on. And what he wrote and said to all these people that were against him, they concluded that, man, it looks like that God wants to save the Gentiles too. He was meticulous to the minutest detail to write the sequence of events that took place. His gospel is that way. Complete details. So if we really want to know some things, look at what Luke wrote. And look at the things he emphasized. Now, with that in mind, he's trying to convince Theophilus because Theophilus is going to support him and financially, really financially support his writings. And he knew that Theophilus was watching some of these preachers on YouTube. And he knew that maybe he had some uncertainties about him, some insecurities about him, right? And so he's going to give it line upon line, precept upon precept, in minutest detail, what really took place. And look at the detail. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 1. I've got a lot of scripture this morning. I know that surprises you, but I'd rather us hear from God than anybody else. Look at the detail that Luke provides. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit of power and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to 
the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Glory to God, hallelujah. No, he said, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife, while stricken in years, I get, he paid for that statement right there. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. Can you see this going back and forth? I am an old man. I am Gabriel. Gabe, you don't get it. I'm an old man. I am Gabriel. And finally, who knows how many times he said it, but I'm an old man. Don't you understand biological laws? And the angel answering him said, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and I'm sent to speak unto thee and show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because you believe not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited. For Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And he, they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. After those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the, in the days wherein he looked on me and to take away my reproach among men. So here we have Luke giving a play-by-play -play account in minutest detail of the things that were taking place during that time. Notice how he specifies how she was of the, she came from the line of Aaron. We know where he came from. He was a priest, so he had to be in the right place in order to do so. He had every reason to believe Gabriel. Every reason. She, Mary, had every reason to doubt that it's possible for a woman to conceive and have a child without a man. So, where does faith come into play? Gabriel says, you don't believe. You want to know why you're going to have some issues here? You don't believe. And because you don't believe, you will be struck dumb so you don't speak your doubt and unbelief any longer. I don't want you interfering anymore with what God wants done. Now, I'm going to give you some reasons why he should have believed. Number one, he was a priest. Number two, he was pious. Number three, he was prayerful. But number one, him being a priest means he knew all about Abraham and Sarah in their old age. He knew the story. He knew how they couldn't conceive in their old age. And once again, the reproaches upon the woman that can't conceive. And he knew the story of how God appeared to Abraham, Abram at the time, and said all these things. And he knew the story about Isaac being born. So as a priest, he had all this information. As a priest, he understood all this. Secondly, he was pious. 
That means he walked in his righteousness. Luke said he was walking blameless before the Lord. Look at that. You know, you could walk righteous and and blameless and holy before the Lord and still not have any faith. Did you hear that? Faith has nothing to do with how holy you are. It's what you believe in your heart. And here we see him, him, even though he's blameless, he has this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be there to offer incense before the Lord. And I say once-in-a-lifetime because at that time there were about 18,000 priests. And you only do this one time in your whole life. You don't get selected to do this again. Once that lot falls on you, that is your one and only opportunity. And so we have him in the temple. He is before the Lord. He is burning incense. He is at the altar of God. When this encounter occurs, it's during this once in a lifetime event that he's going to experience in his life. If you're going to have a vision, if you're going to see an angel, why would you doubt that that would be the place where it's going to take place? The encounter was right there. The setup was perfect right there before him. And what's he focusing on? I'm an old man. Really? Come on, Zach. This is Gabriel. Appeared to you right there in the temple before the altar while you're burning incense. You're righteous, you're holy, you're blameless, you're pious before the Lord. And and he tells you this glad tidings of great joy. And the first thing out of your mouth is, I'm old. And and, and Gabriel says to Zacharias, "Mm -mm. from now on it's duct tape until the baby's born. Your silence until this baby is born. You won't speak another word of your doubt and unbelief. See, oftentimes when people say, if anybody should have got it, it should have been so-and-so because they're so wonderful. It has nothing to do with how wonderful we are. It's what you believe in your heart and say with your mouth. It's all about faith. You could be the most wonderful person alive. If you don't apply faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, you will be lost for eternity. You realize that? Some people say, I can understand why God would send good people to a place of eternal suffering. He doesn't. They do. They don't make a decision to exercise faith in what he did for them. And that's why they won't be saved. They'll be lost for an eternity. They could be the most wonderful person on the planet. The most giving person on the planet. Doesn't matter. You can't get to heaven based on your efforts or my efforts. It's all based on what Jesus did for us. And so number three, he was prayerful. How about this one? Your prayer was heard. Your wife shall have a child. Does that maybe indicate that he might have been praying for a child at some point during all this time? And he comes and says, your prayer was heard. Your wife will have a baby. I'm too old. Now, if you would have done it way back when, then I'd say, okay. Maybe he didn't want to take care of a child that being that old, whatever, you know. The point is, his prayer was answered. He prayed for it. Isn't it something that some... Something that sometimes what we do is we ask God for something. He sends the answer and what uh, we miss the whole boat. There it is. Zacharias, your wife's going to have a baby. Her reproach will be removed. And also his name's going to be called John. You don't have to get those books from Walmart and figure out how many names that you got to go through the list of names. What do we? Ah, John, that's his name. He was prayerful. He asked 
for this, for this to happen. He was probably also praying, praying for the restoration of Israel. And in his discourse, what does Gabriel tell him? He's going to be wonderful. He's going to be a prophet of God. He's going to lead many to Christ. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Can you imagine? What about that focus, Zacharias? Did you miss all of what he said only because you're of an old age? Did you not hear what he just said to you? What he revealed to you? My goodness. All this is going to happen as a result of your wife having a child named John. But you don't believe, so forget it. Faith is the key, the key ingredient that enables the Spirit of God to work. This goes all the way back to Genesis. Nothing was done. The world was in chaos. But then what happened? The Word spoke. And when God said, let there be light, the Holy Ghost moved and did something. Beloved, why do you think the enemy comes against us to get us to say the wrong thing? To disagree with God, not agree with his word. Because he doesn't want God's work to be done. He doesn't want the Holy Ghost to take the word and fulfill it in its what? Season. It will be fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you. Do you want to be the person that God has to say angel to the angel Gabriel, go and stop that person from talking so we can get something done in his life? Would you want to be that person? You listen to him talk, silence him, just, just silence him because you say he's not going to get what we want done because he keeps on talking this doubt and unbelief. Look at Luke 121. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. You know what they were waiting for? It was customary that he would come out and pronounce a blessing upon the people. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. It's so whatever the blessing may have been upon their lives. But they were waiting for that. It was all traditional. They were going to come out. He was going to come out and he's going to pronounce a blessing upon them. Can you imagine if he would have sided with God and said the right thing? But can you imagine what possibly could have taken place at that time? But no, he had to be silenced for the whole time until she gave birth. And then, of course, when they asked him finally, what's the child's name? Surely it's going to be Zacharias Jr., no, his name's going to be John, she says. What? There's nobody named John in our family. What are you talking about? Yeah, John's going to be the Well, let's go ask Zacharias. Give him a notepad. You know, get him an iPad. Let him send an email or something. What's the child's name? John. What? John. Okay. Well... He's named John, and immediately he's able to speak. Isn't that something when you choose to say, this is what God said, his name is John, now he can speak. In other words, Zacharias, if you're going to speak your doubt and unbelief, we're going to tape your mouth shut. But if you line up with what God's word says and start speaking the truth, you can speak again. Now, fast forward this. Let's go back to Mary. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 1 again, starting at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel, the same angel Gabriel, was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man. And the Greek word here, virgin, and you've got the Hebrew word virgin back in Isaiah, uh, once again, indicate a woman who was never with a man. 
Some want to contest that and say that it doesn't really mean she was a virgin. She was just a young woman of, of childbearing age. But that's not true. But even if you go back and take that philosophy or that theology, a woman that was young, that young, was expected to be a virgin, period. That's how it was back then. Today, our culture is so much different than back then. But she was supposed to be a virgin. So in the sixth month, he goes to her, to a virgin, a spouse, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Notice the detail, how specific he is. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou, art highly, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. Now notice how he begins to talk about Jesus like he talked about John. John's going to do all this. But now Jesus, he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And is of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary, Unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? That is a legitimate question. I am, I've never, I'm a virgin, I've never been with a man. How can this be? How will this happen? And the angel said unto her, answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. In other words, in short, God the Father is going to father your son, your child. And your cousin Elizabeth, she's also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Gabriel, what college did you go to? Did you ever study biology? Did you have a health class? Like we have health classes, you know, today and all that. Uh, you're, you're saying something that does not line up with nature. It is unnatural for a woman to have a child who does not know a man. Did she say that? No, not at all. You know what she said? No matter how illogical it is. It doesn't matter to me. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And guess what happened when she declared that? When she proclaimed that? The Holy Ghost moved. The Holy Ghost came on her. What does the Holy Ghost need to move? Someone to act upon the word of God. Someone to proclaim the word of God. Someone declare the word of God. And when she declared the word of God and said, I'm with it. It doesn't matter how illogical it is. I accept it. Be it unto me according to the word of Almighty God. And what happened to her? She conceives in her womb the Son of God. Now, before I read this last text in Hebrews chapter 10, let me just say this. Have you ever thought about this? Why didn't God just form another body from the dust of the earth like he did in the beginning? If he needed a body, that's all he needed to come and inhabit and redeem mankind. Why didn't he just make another body from the dust of the earth? It's not a trick question, but have you ever thought about it? 
That's all he had to do. Well, no, he can't. He's identifying with the Adamic line. He's not producing another entity. He's entering in this world the proper way through birth. He needed a body to do that. I know this is a wonderful scene, the manger scene. We see the baby in the manger and we thank God because that's where the sheep were that were the ones that would be offered as sacrifices and all that. And we thank God for that. But look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. And if I could just close by just pointing this out to us. I don't know if it impacts you like it impacts me, but look at this. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said something. What did he say? Sacrifice and offering you wouldest not. In other words, animal sacrifices you didn't accept. But a body hast thou prepared me, not from the dust of the earth. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure whatsoever. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings. And offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither has pleasure therein which are offered by law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. So when he came into the world, what did he say? Burnt offering and sacrifice you would have not, but a body you provided for me. What body is he providing? Think about that. When we talk about abortion and we talk about where does life begin? In that womb of Mary, when the Holy Ghost came on her, she said, be it unto me according to thy word. And when he came into the world, he said, what did he say? A body you have prepared me. It says when he came into the world. I like to look at it this way. I know there's some drama here, maybe dramatics or whatever. But she's saying, be it unto me according to the word. And the Holy Ghost comes on her and he says, a body you have prepared for me. And boom. A hypostatic union takes place in her womb. Not from the dust of the earth, but from who man really is. And from, from someone, Genesis chapter 3, that says a woman will bring forth. A woman is going to produce the seed, not the man. See, the baby comes, the blood comes from the woman, from uh, the man, not the woman. The father. So the blood in his veins came from the Father, not from the sin-tainted Adamic line. So can you imagine that? We could be either like a Zacharias or we could be like a Mary. So when you get a report, the report says it's all negativity and all that, and we can just say, well, I understand that's natural laws. But we can also say this, there's something higher than that. There's a truth that is higher than that. I'm going to choose to believe God. I'm going to choose to act on the Word of God. I'm going to say with Mary, I'm going to echo her words, be it unto me according to thy word. No matter how logical, how impractical, how against everything our five physical senses tell us, I am going to agree with the Word of Almighty God. And if we want to see God work on our behalf, beloved, it's time to start saying what the Word of God says about ourselves, about our family, about our church, about our nation, about everything. And hold fast to it because His Word will be fulfilled in its season. Can you say amen?
Hallelujah. We're going to worship him right now. I want us to celebrate Christmas like we've never celebrated before with this revelation of what, it took, what took place and how that God could have, if, if it could have been done that way, he would have provided another body, but it couldn't. So can you even relate to this? That the second person of deity entered the womb of a virgin who provided a body for him. And then he created the world and now he walks in it as a man. It's beyond our comprehension, isn't it? But that simple statement of Mary, be it unto me according to thy word. With your stripes I am healed. My body says no. My doctor says no. My friends say no. Even church people say no. But you say with your stripes I am healed. Be it unto me according unto thy word. Oh Lord, hallelujah. My bank account says you can't pay your bills. Uh, your financier says you can't pay your bills. And the list goes on and on. Your checkbook says no. Your bank account says no. But my Bible says my God supplies all my need according unto his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So I say be it unto me according unto thy word, O Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You say I'm so afraid. The devil says you should fear. People say it's, it's a fearful thing to be living in the age in which we live. That this world is falling apart, etc., etc., etc. But you stand there and you can say, I can side with that. Or I can say, my God said he will not, he will not, he will not ever leave me nor forsake me. That I may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Find out what God said and say, be it unto me according to thy word. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together and praise God for the word who became flesh and dwelt among us.